0: Hello and welcome to the Nursing Standard Podcast. My name is Martin. I am a literature practitioner and programme lead for the MSc and advanced practice at the Royal Marsden in London. And today I've got the pleasure of being joined by not only two nurse consultants, but two sort of amazingly experienced pain expert nurse consultants. Um, And we're going to talk about all things pain. So I'll introduce my esteemed panel. So first up, we have Felicia Cox.
1: Thank you very much, Martin. And I'm delighted as the former chair of the pain and palliative care forum for the RCN that you have taken over the reins with such gusto.
0: Oh thank you and you are an expertise nurse consultant and acute pain at the Royal Brompton Herefield.
1: That's right, part of Guy's and St Thomas's, and I also sit on the Council of the British Pain Society.
0: And we're also joined by Karen Cannons.
2: Hi Martin, it's it's wonderful to be here. Hi Felicia. Um, So yes, I am a nurse consultant in pain, slightly different environment to, to Flick in that Um, I work within a district general hospital trust, um, Frimley Health, um, where I lead two acute or inpatient pain services across our three hospitals and also work in our chronic pain or outpatient clinic as well. So um, it's a varied job, which I absolutely love.
0: Perfect. And as Felix said, so I'm the current chair of the RCN Pain and Path Care Forum. But my background is very much in pain. So I was a cancer pain nurse specialist by background, and I've also dabbled as a lead nurse in a, a chronic and acute pain setting as well. So I think between the three of us, we should be able to talk about pain for the next sort of 20-ish minutes. So um, our our focus for today is we're really just we want to get to the nitty gritty of what is pain and how does it impact and um, patients in our care and society today so we know that pain is such a universal symptom that everybody will experience it at some point in their life whether it be from standing on a bit of Lego in the middle of the night or something a bit more um, long term is it back pain or if it's an acute from an injury or procedure or something so I'm just going to give you some stats just to kick it off a little bit so we know that 50% of the UK population has chronic pain and whether it be severe back pain whatever it is 50% have got chronic pain we know that just under 70% of those with advanced cancer will have pain. And when we look at our inpatient wards, we know that from a medical setting, around 55% of those patients will have pain. And if we look at an acute post-op setting, up to about 84% as well. And that's from the work by the lovely Judy Gregory, again, past chair of the RCN and Pain and Palliative Care Forum, and, and a friend of the podcast, shall we say today. So I'm just going to throw it back to our panel. So I'm going to come to Karen first. So, wh- but what is pain exactly? When we talk about these facts and figures, I we mean, we mention it all the time. But but what is it? What is the essence of pain?
2: I think I think for me the essence of pain is is probably a symptom that can can absolutely undermine the patient's life or their recovery. So when I've got my acute pain hat on, um, patients who are uncomfortable, simply put, do not get better and don't go home. So it has huge impacts on recovery and and patient flow. And then with my chronic pain hat on, you you mentioned, Martin, 50% of the population suffering from chronic pain. And I use the word suffer advisedly because yeah. chronic pain or persistent pain it blights lives and it takes a huge economic toll because patients who have pain often can't work it affects all their relationships um so it it's a truly biopsychosocial phenomenon pain you know whether it is at the one end of the continuum acute pain or at the other end where patients have pain perhaps end of life or cancer pain from its treatment and and and, and progression and so for me it's it's always there. Pain is the thing that hovers over us, um, and managing it well means that that we can optimize health and well-being. So um, f- for me, it's a really important symptom. Is it a disease in its own right? I think that that's up for debate, and and that's perhaps a, a subject for another day. But um, I think it's something you ignore at your peril. And if you don't recognise pain in your patients and and those alongside you, then It it doesn't end well. It doesn't go well. It's hard to influence their health and well-being without accounting for pain.
1: I think that ties in quite nicely. You know, the original work to define pain was done by Merski and Bugda, Bugda, um, for IASP in 1976. And uh, I think if you ask any nurse, you know, to define pain, they'll come back to Margot McCaffrey's pain is what the pain is, what the person says it is. But I think she's refined that over the years. Pain is what the experiencing person says it is exp- um, occurring when when they say it does. So I think Pain is a very individual phenomenon, but I think we need to reflect on do you know, there might be physical causes of the pain? There might be psychological causes of the pain, so emotional overlay. But also there might be other like spiritual causes. You know, if I think about you, Martin, working in the cancer setting, the concept of spiritual pain is not something that we consider very often in the inpatient pain setting, but it's very much there in cancer pain. You think about, um, you know, Cicely Saunders' total pain, where we need to think of the person completely as an individual. They might be concerned about what's going to happen You know, if they have cancer and they might have a um, shortened life expectancy, what's going to happen as a result of their perhaps their demise and their death? It might also be is this pain going to get worse? Is the pain a symptom of disease progression or is it just something I'm going to have to live with? And I think it comes back to the definitions that we utilize in clinical practice. So we have acute pain, as Karen mentioned, in response to an insult or injury, and that could be falling over twisted your ankle or it could be having major surgery versus neuropathic and neuro meaning nerve and pathy meaning disease process indicates that there's something happening either in the peripheral nervous system so that might be a response to perhaps chemotherapy or painful diabetic neuropathy or something that's happened centrally so in the brain or in the central nervous system such as post-stroke pain. Karen I don't know if you'd like to build on that a little bit more.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's incredibly important to look at the whole person. And as you said, so spiritual, cultural, their previous life experience as well. You know, if you've had a bad experience with pain in hospital or, or painful stop, um, it's going to color, color how you feel about your recovery Um, or your life living. You've talked about neuropathic pain, and I think people get very hung up with classification definition, but it is incredibly important because generally speaking, acute pains are much more easy to manage, but they tend to be underwritten these days with the patient's comorbidities, what else is wrong with them. Um, And many patients will have different pains that become more problematic. So, for example, a simple hip replacement situation with an orthopedic patient, that patient may have years of persistent low back pain as well, which will not be improved by coming into hospital for for a joint replacement. and often patients learn to manage and live with their pains in very subtle ways. So when you remove the patient from their normal environment, you deprive them of their coping mechanisms, the things that they would normally do. And that's that's true of, of any point of a, of a patient's life. So I think... We have to look at pain as something really multifactorial, but we also do need to know our definitions. We need to be able to differentiate between things like somatic pain. So if we've cut a bone or muscle, we could expect to get that visceral pain from the organs, the viscera. Um, that can be very poorly differentiated as anyone who's had their appendix blow up on them can testify. Quite frequently, you don't have the classic right sided pain. You have pain in weird places. And ask anyone who's got cho- cholelisiasis or gallstones. They'll sometimes tell you they thought they were having a heart attack because they've got central chest pain and right shoulder tip pain. Um, so I think we, we need to know know our stuff. And a neuropathic pain is is, for me, very interesting because it happens acutely. It can be chronic and we also get neuropathic pains, as you mentioned, Flick, in response to things like chemotherapy, you can get um, peripheral neuropathies from chemo. So we, we need to know our definitions and I don't mean that to sound daunting, but it helps patients understand if you can explain the mechanism that's generating their pain, then they have a hope that you might be able to explain some of the things that we have found work well for patients in this situation. And indeed, some of the things that we know do not work. So that becomes increasingly important when we talk about some of the medications in particular. You know, there are some that we can absolutely say our experience says will not be useful in this circumstance. And that can be very important from preventing patients from being started on things that are only going to do them harm.
1: Absolutely. I'm thinking about pain assessment and the the, um, the measures and the tools that we use in clinical practice. So historically for research, you know, we used to use the naught to 10 scale. So the 11 point numerical scale where naught is no pain and 10 is the worst pain you could possibly imagine. But I think this really only defines intensity of pain. And we need to be thinking about the characteristics of the pain as well. What is it like? Is it dull, constant, heavy aching? When you move or you take a deep breath in, does the pain change? Does it become a sharp sort of stabbing pain? This also helps us with our definition. So you mentioned somatic pain, that dull, constant, heavy ache. And I think about nociceptive pain, that pain in response to an acute injury, as being that sharp, stabbing, brief, but intermittent pain, normally in response to um Undertaking some sort of movement, for instance, patient getting out of bed might be, you know, a prime example or or just lifting their arm after shoulder surgery. So they might report a number of different characteristics, but also we need to be thinking about the pattern of the pain. Is it there all the time? Does it come and go in response to um, a movement or a, a gesture, for instance?
2: I think I think we need to look at its impact as well. I mean, you mentioned function, and that's clearly incredibly important. I started by saying that people who are in pain don't get better, don't go home from hospital. So functional pain assessment is 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 absolutely everything because of the impact the pain has, and that's what we're looking at. A good assessment doesn't just look at the severity; it looks at what impact that has on the patient, um, and and we we progress that impact through the continuum. So you know, it, at its it, at its sort of best case it has an impact on recovery at its worst case it has an impact on all of the facets of life and then finally it can result if we're not very careful and skilled in a truly uncomfortable miserable death which is something that we would always want to assure our patients and those that we love that it is possible to have a dignified and peaceful end to your life so um, I think for me function is part of that assessment um, finding out what the patient needs and wants to achieve Around their pain and respecting the patient's opinion, because for some patients, they will choose to have the pain. I had a very interesting case recently where somebody had had a cardiac arrest following a bee sting, and they had quite a lot of recall of their resuscitation, as it turned out, during which their ribs were broken. And the patient said to me, I am not interested in taking loads of drugs for this. I don't want anything else that makes me feel out of it or not me. I am so confused trying to navigate my way out of what just happened to me that I need to feel what's real. I need to know what's real. And if I'm sat here in a chair and refusing to lie flat in a bed for sleep, it's because that's how I want it to be. And and to give him psychological peace, which is a huge, important part of good pain management. It was listening to him, and it it really reminded me of Margot McCaffrey. You know, pain is what the patient says it is, and all analgesia is optional. You know, if the patient does not want that then you need to listen to them and for sure we managed you know to point out that that he was going to get a chest infection if he didn't wasn't able to cough so he accepted some help mainly physical help you know showing him how to do a supported cough with a towel and all the good physio things but it but for me it really underlined that thing about listening to your patients and finding out what they want and need as part of that pain assessment conversation because you mentioned tools and that's that's true but I get to the point where I don't really care what tool people use as long as they're having that conversation with the patient. Because, as we all know, the gold standard of pain assessment is the patient's self-report. And, and we can get that self-report in various ways, even if the patient would apparently be unable to self-report. Um, so that's that's my fascination with assessment, really.
0: There's something there's something about pain that is very pure to what it means to be a nurse as well. So there's this idea that sometimes we think of pain as being very complex and lots of physiology. And we use these terms of nociception, acute, chronic, neuropathic, and it be, we can almost make it very medicalised. But actually, at the heart of it is somebody in distress. And the fundamentals of, of who we are as nurses is to relieve distress. We want to make things better. We want to help. But with pain, sometimes you can't do that. So as Cameron said, that's a perfect example. That individual's experience, that's their control or sense of what's going on. And us as nurses are there to facilitate that journey and sort of understand what makes them them understand their needs and their impact and how we can facilitate that. So it may not be that we go in with lots and lots of medicines. It could be something really simple as having a chat, having a discussion. How does it impact you? What are your goals? What can we do to help you move forward with this? We might not be able to take it away, but what can we do to help you move through this very difficult, very distressing period of time? So for me, the essence of pain nursing is, that supportive loveliness that you kind of go along with them and sort of what is our role to help facilitate your journey? I
2: think, That's I right. think it's, yeah, respect for, for their viewpoint, whilst gently guiding, because obviously, you know, we we're required to make make best interest decisions for our patients and give them all the options. But you know, some of the things that we we know how to do for pain carry risk and burden. And I think it we we have to remember that it's our, our duty to make sure the patient has the whole picture because it, it's hard for a patient to make an informed decision if you don't give them the the information. Um, and at various times in a patient's journey in pain, the information will have to be given in, in in different ways. So if somebody's in massively severe acute pain, they don't want a great long assessment. You know, often it's just, are you hurting? <laughs> do I need to do something about that? <laughs> and that's all. And and we'll we'll talk about it later about the differential benefits of what what we might do. But you know, the sort of immediate assessment consists of the patient maybe squeaking at you and you really using all your nonverbal cues from the patient and and that reassuring presence that you're here, you recognise the pain and you're going to get on and do something about it and then we'll talk. Um,
1: I agree. I agree. It's the pulling up the chair, sitting down, the active listening. And, you know, the odd bit of hand-holding doesn't go astray. And uh, Huyen van Burkel delivered a wonderful plenary in EFIC recently, last week in Budapest, about the role of the nurse and n- the nurse being the intervention. So I think that just ties up really nicely, Martin and Karen, what we have been talking about this morning. We are the intervention, our our listening skills and our experience.
0: Yeah, and I suppose it's that recognition that because it's such a personal experience, everybody will look completely different. You know, not everybody's going to be at the end of the bed screaming and writhing in agony. Doesn't mean that if they're not doing that, they've not got pain. It just means that they're dealing with it in a slightly different way. And it's sort of, it's the ability to recognise that and tailor that support to that individual is the most important thing that we can do. And that's what we do every day. We advocate for our patients and we know them really well and we work with them and we support them through that. We've We've covered a lot of ground really quickly, guys. This is excellent. Lots of really good discussions. So before we move on to the next bit, I just want to do like a really rapid fire summary. So acute pain, like how long should acute pain last for?
1: Well, traditionally, the definition is less than three months. But if somebody um, has had surgery, for instance, and they have new onset pain, this would always be a red flag for me. So I would say um, occurring for less than three months or so and then beyond three months and longer, then we would call that persistent or chronic pain.
0: Right. Karen, I was going to come to you and say chronic pain, persistent pain, durations. There's, there's lots of new terminology coming out now as well. Primary chronic pain, secondary chronic pain. Can you do a really quick summary for people of how to recognise it?
2: So I, think, I think it's pain that, that the patient would have expected to have gone. Because for me, chronic pain is underwritten by the patient's expectations. And... For me, chronic pain is the gift that goes on giving. You would have expected once an injury is healed, there not to be any pain. So for patients who have persistent pain beyond the point of recovery, which has now become chronic. So I think, for example, perhaps about somebody who's had back surgery to relieve their back and leg pain um, and they, they get better, but they're still left with essentially the same pain they had before they had the surgery because they've got deep seated neuropathic pain that isn't going anywhere and it's pain that then somewhat unhelpfully everyone says oh well, you're going to need to learn to live with that and then people get very confused because the next thing is that, yeah you're going to need to see a psychologist at which point the patient hears that they're mad and that's not what what we mean as professionals and i think this is the point where the communication from the healthcare team is vital. You need to really be helping patients understand what's happening to them, why their nervous system might be misbehaving in that way, for example. And then you need to get them to understand that it's not that we think it's all in your head, but if we can't change your pain physically, if that injury is healed and there's nothing I can fix surgically, how do we teach your brain to interpret the pain in a different way and react in a different way so that you can incorporate this pain into your life rather than it dominating your life because the nasty unpleasant truth about chronic pain or persistent pain is it's persistent for a reason it's it, it's a lifelong thing it's going to be it's yours now it's part of your life so there's a lot of loss tied up with that sort of bereavement of the life you thought you were going to have so there's a lot to overcome here and there's a lot to support support patients with so for me The differentiations between primary chronic pain and secondary chronic pain, that gets a little bit deeper. And and again, you could spend an entire podcast talking about primary chronic pain because rather ironically, some things that started off as as perhaps a response to injury, like a complex regional pain syndrome, when everything's been done and they're still around, they're then considered to be a type of primary chronic pain. Whereas historically, we'd have have really thought of things like fibromyalgia as part of of chronic pain. Fibromyalgia, simply put, is you ache all over and no one's found another test that gives you another diagnosis. So I think I remain optimistic and and, and my family laugh because chronic pain can try the boundaries of your your, um, optimism. But working with patients, it's not about telling them what to do. It's not about knowing best. It's very much about trying to harness our motivational interviewing skills and suggesting to patients, would you be interested in hearing what's worked for other people who've had this? Because it's a lonely experience. Most people I meet with a new diagnosis of chronic pain, they feel like they're the only person this has ever happened to because they never imagined in their worst nightmares that, for example, you could break your ankle, have a successful repair be in a cast, do your rehab with physio, and then have a leg that misbehaves all the time, changes colour when it wants, swells up, is weird. You know, frankly, a lot of patients say, you know, just just take it off, just amputate this leg, it's useless. And and you know, as we know, that's not the answer for for, for many people. So I think chronic pain is. The one no one expects. And I'm sort of reminded of Monty Python. No one expects the Spanish Inquisition. For me, that's what it's like in layman's terms, is that, you know, you you have got this thing and you're going to rapidly need to find out about it and then work out what works for you um, as an individual
1: that's interesting because um I was having a very deep um semantic discussion with a few pain researchers last week who actually asked myself and a couple of other nurses why we thought that chronic pain existed and their their thought was um back to um um, do you know, when we were cavemen, if you suffered an injury or an insult, you were not expected to live if it was a life-threatening insult. And so therefore, um, chronic pain serves no purpose. Acute pain is our protective mechanism. It makes us remove our finger from the from the hot plate or our finger from the fire. But chronic pain actually serves no purpose. So it was just really interesting to hear from a researcher. They just kept saying, Why? 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 And, and, and that's what
2: patients say in clinic, isn't it? Why do I have this? Why does it wake me up at night? Why does it happen when I'm happy? Why does it happen when I'm sad? And, and I, I'm sorry to say that it's not a very scientific answer, but it's because it can. It's the because it can pain. You know, your nervous system will do what it likes when it likes um and that's that's hard it's a real betrayal isn't it and and you know yeah back to the caveman the people people I guess didn't survive they got left behind no one had time for them to keep up with the with the with the tribe
1: (laughs) that's right and if you're in the cave probably the bear came and got you which would be a very rapid demise probably very painful at the time but maybe a relief
0: yeah, there was no time for it to become chronic. It was so acute, and then was it was it was done. Yeah,
1: exactly, exactly. So, does it serve a purpose? No, yeah. it doesn't.
0: I used to um, I, I'll equate the analogy of that chronic pain is the hand. It's a hand in your face. I can't change the shape of the hand. I can't cut off a finger. Your hand is your hand, and it's always going to be in your face. But what we can do is we can put that hand in your back pocket. So it's still there but it's not so much in your face. And that's, that was the aim that we used to do in our coronary pain clinics, well, you know, just to help sort of facilitate that self-management moving forward. Now, I know we are slightly over time, but I just want to finish with one last question for the both of you. Do you have one top tip for nurses out there coming into contact with people from pain? What is what is one thing that you wish you'd have known when you started your nurse training about pain?
2: I guess for me, it's don't panic. You don't have to have all the answers, but you do have to notice you have to to notice that patient. So eyes open, ears open, be active in noticing what's going on.
1: I would agree. And the other thing is actually look at the impact of the pain on the person. Are they quiet? Are they subdued? Are they not um, socialising or verbalising how they're feeling? And just sit and listen, listen to their story. And the one thing that um, I have learnt is I just sit down and say, what's going on? That's, that's it. I don't ask about pain specifically, what's what's going on. And then you get, you know, the life story and actually the the highly complex nature of life as it is that truly biopsychosocial impact.
0: Perfect. Yeah. People are complex. Pain is complex. Put them together and you've got a real mix of um, of things coming together. So thank you so much. And I would echo both of that. And um, the biggest thing I can say, if you don't know, that's fine. And there are lots of people around that can help support you. You've got um, inpatient pain teams and other nurses around. So it's okay not to know what to do. Because sometimes even we don't know what to do because it's so complicated. Absolutely. Thank you you both so much. That was really useful discussion. Lots of really good points coming through there. So thank you for joining us today. All the resources connected with the show can be found at rcni.com forward slash podcast. So thank you for listening. And we hope to be invited back again.